You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. So last week, right, we talked about anticipation, the anticipation of the people of God for a Savior and for a King. The anticipation and preparation that the birth of John the Baptist brought forth, right? John's birth was, um, it paved the way for the birth of Christ, and it paves the way for the ministry of Jesus in his life that we'll see unfold over the Gospel of Luke. And we see that angels are appearing, miracles are happening, right? There were mute tongues, like Zachariah's mute tongue last week was loosed, and he began speaking. We see... Um, His wife's womb was barren, and it's opened, and they bear a child. We see angels appear to Mary and to Joseph. And now when we get to this point in the narrative of the story of Mary and Joseph, we see there's no exception to the miracles that are happening at the birth of this child. So let's read again, um, starting in verse 1, uh, a couple of verses. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, uh, was governor of Syria. And all went to be regi- registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. So the first thing I want us to draw out and look at in this section is that God does, in fact, work all things for his purposes. We see that clearly in the birth of Jesus here, that there is um, a census, essentially, that, that all people should be registered in the town that they were born. Right? Mary and Joseph are about to give birth. And... What I think about that is that it would be nice to give birth at the place you live, right, in Nazareth, in Galilee, but, but the truth is they had to travel. It's, it's the decree. They can't, they can't not travel, so they go to Bethlehem, which is called the city of David, which is also important because um, David, who's the former king of Israel, one of the, the most praised, the most prized, the most... Um, delighted in kings of Israel by the people. Um, This is his city. He's a shepherd from Bethlehem. And so already we have God's plan coming to pass where, where Jesus will be linked with the lineage of kings. Already prophecy boxes are, are being checked, right? Remember last week we talked about old prophecies of the Old Testament that are coming to pass. They're coming true all of a sudden with these births, with this birth. Here's one from Micah that we read uh, earlier um, in the Assurance of Pardon. It says, but, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from the ancient days. Right, God is working in and through local governments to ordain, to establish what, is, what has been predicted would be established and ordained. His plan includes his coming as a baby in Bethlehem, and that's what we see happening. So let's continue in verse 6. 
And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. This is one of those facts that I don't think we, uh, maybe you haven't focused on in a while, right? Like, as a kid, we all remember, oh, yeah, there's no room at the inn. Um, so they just went to the manger. But, but the manger is no place for the king that Jesus is, right? The manger in the swaddling clothes, not at the inn, the manger isn't the place for the Lord and Savior of the world to come, and yet that's where he comes. And this is in line with, with prophecy as well. It's the beginning of Isaiah 53 when it says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men. So his first rejection comes before he's even born. There's no room for you here. You, you have to find somewhere else. Find an alley. Find a manger. Find anything. It goes on to say, A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief... As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And that will go on to play itself out in Jesus' life and ministry that we'll read in Luke and eventually culminate as, at his, his assassination, his death on the cross. He comes to the earth humbly and lowly and rejected already. And yet, while, while lodging is denied to Christ here, his birth inaugurates um, the opening of a door for our eternal lodging somewhere else. Right? He, opens, uh, he opens the door for our inheritance and our dwelling to be with him eternally. So what was denied to Jesus is being provided to us thousandfold in his coming. And simultaneously in a nearby field, another narrative is playing out. Let's read starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he will be a sign for you, or, and this will be a sign for you that you find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. And lying in a manger, and suddenly there was an angel uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here are these night shepherds, right? And I, I want us to focus in on this now. Th these are guys that are essentially working the third shift. They, they are insignificant night workers for the shepherds. They make sure just, yeah, the the. The flock sleeps at night, so will you guys go stand out there and make sure no, nothing eats the flock at night while they sleep? Why would God use these men to deliver his message? This is the beginning of the spread of the gospel, right? This is, this is the very, um, the first proclamation that Christ is born. It happens with angels and a multitude of singing, and it happens toward not kings, not governors, not rulers, not rich people, Shepherds at night. He chooses the shepherds, insignificant as they are, according to the world. One, because the message of the gospel is for everyone, not the elite, not just the elite. 
It's for all of us. And two, God uses whatever means he desires to, to glorify himself. And so the angels appear to the insignificant, insignificant shepherds according to the world, and still the message will get spread. It attests to his glory and his power and his sovereignty, his ability to uh, make all things work for his purpose. That's good news for all of us. As one of your pastors, I'm thankful that God uses insignificant people. Because that is good news to me. Um, It reminds me that God will choose us to spread his gospel. It encourages me to, to live into that identity. He uses men and women like this for his purposes. God uses who we don't expect to share the gospel. So the angel has come to these shepherds, and this is the message that, that this angel has. Fear not, first, because when anybody in the, in the Bible sees an angel, they're told fear not because of the magnificence of them. Fear not, though, because I bring tidings. I bring good news of great joy to all people Today, born in the city of David, again, linking him to a kingly lineage. Today, born in the city of David, Christ is born, and he is two things. He is Savior of the world, and he is Lord. Savior in that he redeems all people. The promised Savior, the Messiah who will redeem. And Lord in that we would worship him, and he would ascend and rise in kingly status. Lord in that he would reign over death. Savior in that he would bear our sins. This is who has been born, says the angel. And finally, when the shepherds expect that you would see him, after saying that, that he'll be Savior and Lord, the shepherds say, expect that you'll see him in a manger, not in some throne room, not in some grand gold cradle, yet in a manger. That's the sign for you, which contradicts his kingly status. But remember, our God came with humility, and he'll die with humility. And then their response, not not the shepherds, the response of heaven to this proclamation is praise. You get the sense that the sky rifts open, and the host of heaven proclaims glory to God in the highest. He has made peace with men on earth. among those with whom he is pleased, which means the church. This is the holy refrain that happens at the birth of this child. So already, more and more miracles are coming to pass. So continuing in verse 15, what happens? When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. So they visit the manger. They're not surprised because the angel had prepared them to see what they were going to see, right? It it would be a terrifying sight, probably messy, but also dirty. But they aren't surprised. What do they do? They They made known what had been said to them. They say, this is what the angels told us we would see. 
And everybody who heard that wondered, right? So we get this spread that this, not only do Mary and Joseph hear what the angels had said, but others are hearing it as well in Bethlehem. More people are hearing this good news that this child has been born. It's spreading, and eventually, because we sit in this room, it will spread to the whole world. And let's continue reading as we finish the narrative. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and had been told to them. So their response is praise and glory to God, just like the angels were. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And remember earlier in Luke, an angel had already visited Mary and said, this is what's going to happen. And this is who this child's going to be. And yet, even still, when the shepherds tell her about the angel visiting them, and she hears about this host of heaven praising God and declaring who this child will be, uh, she treasures up these truths. It says she um, treasured up all things, pondering them in her heart, all these things. She stores the memories and, and chews on them. She ponders them. She thinks about them. She can't believe it. It, it. Is it really all true? It must really be true because of what Joseph said and what Elizabeth said and what Zechariah said and what the shepherds said. He must be who the prophets said he would be. He must be who the angels said he would be. He must be who the shepherds said he would be. And he must be the one I was told he would be. So we get this sense that Mary is still struggling to digest, because I think anyone would be. Did I really, did I really give birth to, to one who would be called Savior and Lord? And the shepherds are saying, yeah, the angels, the angels told us this would be true. And Joseph is saying, yeah, the angels said we would name him Jesus. And, and then we're reminded of more prophecy, right? Isaiah 9 says this, For unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is who is born. And in obedience to God, Mary and Joseph, his parents, name him Jesus. And in obedience to God, Mary and Joseph, his parents, circumcise him, which is just according to the Jewish law. It fulfills the law of God. And you see, Jesus comes as Savior and Lord, not to, not to abolish the law, but he fulfills it in a way we couldn't. And his circumcision is the first step. Just like the in being rejected is his first step in rejection, his circumcision is his first step in fulfilling the law of God that we can't fulfill perfectly. He is the one who lives the life we can't. He is the one who dies the death we should. And he is the one, the firstborn of the dead, who rises in victory as Lord. We'll see all that to come, uh, all that come to pass as we read through Luke. But for now, what do we do? I think we can remember three 
primary things. The first is that God is sovereign. God is in control of all things before the foundation of the world. Things have been coming to pass which are guided by him. It doesn't mean there isn't evil things in the world. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you, but it means God is in control. And he will work things out for his good and his glory, and we can trust that. We can trust that when we see the brokenness in our world, and we can trust that in our own lives. And two, as far as evangelism is concerned, us sharing the good news, God uses the least of us to spread his message sometimes. That should be a warm blanket to you. It doesn't matter how famous we are or how powerful we are. God will use us to proclaim his goodness. It means we're invited into his plan as we are. It means it doesn't matter your story. He will use you. He uses the shepherds. And the third, um, the third thing I want us to get is that we should hold on to what has happened. Just like Mary did. She pondered these things. She held on to them. She chewed on them. Remember the stories you have in your life of God's faithfulness. Think about them. Ponder them. Remember the stories you've heard of people, maybe even in this room, stories of God's faithfulness to them. Think about them. Ponder them. And for all of us, if you don't have a story for yourself, or you don't have a story you remember about anybody else, we have this one. All of us have the story of God coming to earth in the form of man. The world is broken. Your life may feel dark. Your family might be struggling. You might be lonely. But the birth of Jesus, the advent of Christ is for you this morning. All who encounter it and all who truly believe it leave rejoicing. It doesn't mean that things immediately get better. It doesn't mean that anything gets fixed while we're here. It doesn't mean things will be perfect on earth. But his name is Wonderful Counselor. His name is Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. His name is Prince of Peace. So would we go to him for counsel? Or do we place our hope in a God who is mighty and not our hope in anything of the world that's broken? Would we trust in a Father who's everlasting? Would we submit our anxiety to the Prince of Peace? He has been bored, God, into this world. And the truth is that things might not get better now, immediately, but, but given all of this name, Wonderful Counselor, Father, Prince of Peace, Everlasting, Mighty. He's returning to dwell with us again. He's returning for us. So even if it doesn't get better in the immediate, all things will be made new. All things will be made new. The birth of Christ should remind us of what has happened and what God has done and what God will do. For he has said that he will return and he will. This is Advent. This is what Christmas is about. Let's pray and then we'll sing. We'll, we'll take communion and sing together more.
Father God, we're, we're thankful that you're everlasting and that we can trust in you. Lord, I pray that this Christmas as we leave this morning, that we would leave with a song on our hearts that you have done it, that you have entered our world that's a mess, that you, born in a manger, lowly, rejected at the end, that you came. And Lord, I pray that that gives us hope this morning. I pray that it fuels us this week as maybe we're let down on on Christmas Day or maybe things aren't as perfect as we thought they'd be or we're not even close to being perfect or maybe we're alone. We look to the hope of Christ coming the first time and feel the anticipation resolve there and begin to anticipate His coming again, Lord. Your coming again. Lord, we confess that we, uh, I confess that I often forget this narrative or store it away as a child's story, but in the end, this is worthy of glory and honor to you. Glory to God in the highest we sing. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We acknowledge that you are Savior, that you've borne our sins. We acknowledge that you're Lord, that you rule now in our hearts and in heaven. Lord, would you help us trust you and love you and love each other and be a church that trusts you and loves you and loves each other in 2019. And this week, I pray for peace for our people. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.